Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, here we are on Women's Finals Day at the Wimbledon Championships 2018. Myself, Catherine Whitaker, David Law, soon to join. I am, as, I am assured by David Law himself. But uh, I have Charlie Eccleshire of The Telegraph alongside me. We have just been watching the Women's Final won by Angelique Kerber, 6-3, 6-3, over Serena Williams, her third Grand Slam title. And... It's a great story, Charlie. I really think it's a brilliant story. It's just not the story that we were all preparing for. So it's kind of a it's kind of a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, I think everyone, the crowd certainly came almost thinking it was going to be a procession. You know, this was this amazing comeback story from Serena. But actually, it's a, a comeback story in a slightly different way, maybe in a slightly more nuanced way. But you know, Kerber who was, had that Annas Mirabilis 2016, you know, she won those two Grand Slams, was the top player, and then faded. And I think we thought, oh, well, maybe that was it for Kerber. You know, she, she just had a sort of weird anomalous year. But actually, to then come back, and, and, and what we've said before, that Kerber maybe is best under the radar and kind of, you know, a bit more in the background. Well, today, on the biggest stage of all, against the greatest player of all time, she's delivered that performance. So, yeah, it was quite something. It perhaps suited her that the story was all about Serena today. I don't know how much of the podcast you've been listening to of this fortnight, but we've got into surprisingly deep discussion about introverts and extroverts mm. and what sort of personality types are suited to, to what. And maybe it suited her today for everyone's attention to be on Serena. Yeah, I mean, the focus was 90-odd percent on Williams going into it. I mean that was the story that everyone had had already written I think and and that was why for me and I and I know you had a similar feeling I just had this funny sense that Kerber was going to win today it, it, it did feel like she was almost being too written off and that yeah that might suit her she could come in no pressure just go out swinging and, and anything was a bonus the thing is I I mean I'd, I'd love to be smuggity smug smug about, <laughs> <laughs> about the fact that um, I did as you did, have a feeling that Kerber will win this. But I completely understand that feeling that Serena Williams overrides all logical instinct. I get that, you know. I get that all the people that predicting Serena to win had seen the same things on paper I'd seen. 
uh, but just thought, you know, it's Serena. Yeah. It's Serena, and there's this incredible force. It's this incredible story. I've done that in the past. But the fact is she hadn't been tested before today, really, with all due respect to, to Gerges, who was the first top 50 player that she'd played all tournament. Gerges didn't challenge her in the way that she could have or somebody else could have she didn't take time away from her she didn't make her move laterally um so I don't think we really had the true test before today of where Serena was at no absolutely and that's I always and I think maybe naively I it always really winds me up that players seem to be beaten before they step on court against Serena or Federer and Nadal and obviously that's very easy for me to say from my vantage point to actually be stood toe-to-toe with them and really believing yourself is obviously incredibly difficult. But I had that same sense. I thought if, if Kerber can actually go out and somehow trick herself into thinking, this is someone who has barely played this year. You know, I am in tip-top physical condition. I'm the most durable athlete on the tour. If I can really, you know, rationally turn this match into what it became, you know, longer rallies, I should win this match. And she was able seemingly to do that. She was able to make it make it that kind of match you know it was long rallies it was moving Serena from side to side because that's the only time that Serena had looked uncomfortable all tournament was when people did that I don't know about you but I feel like a lot of people were expecting the Kerber wobble the, Mm. the moment where she where you know exactly as you said maybe she'd been able to convince herself of something the moment that the doubts about that sort of self hypnosis came in and it just didn't she because as much as we talk about tennis psychology and it undoubtedly is this enormous facet to the game and and we'll talk about the the Anderson Djokovic final that we've got to look forward to because I I think that'll be an incredibly big factor for me it just kind of came down today to who was playing the better tennis actually yeah I think the only side wobble Kerber had not even really wobble but that last game understandably her arm looked like it weighed I remember even Izovic saying my arm weighed maybe 50 pounds you know in, that, in, his, in his last game and it looked we love Goran Ivanovic impressions <laughs> on the tennis David podcast it, had to try and upstage <laughs> but it did look like that you know Kerber it, it was a shame actually because she served uh, I think it was a 30-15 point a serve so slow and I was just waiting for the speed gun but it was a let so we didn't get to find it I genuinely think it was under 60 miles an hour it was like watching me serve it was it was painful but she managed to get through that and uh, but yeah prior to that you know she uh, she only faced one break point and call match um, generally very secure because that was the worry before was was her serve just going to get pulverized by Serena but the thing is I don't know if you heard the Mary Carrillo episode from a couple of days ago she said she she gave me the secrets to, to yeah, being the world heard, number one yeah. it's just a matter of time <laughs> yeah. just a matter of time I'm on I'm on the right trajectory now um she gave the secrets and one of them was if you have a weakness to be able to cover mm. up your weakness mm. and that was what struck me about Kerber today that serve is a weakness particularly the second one she defends it so well that it didn't appear to be one today. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was, um, I, I often think of, I often in my head compare Kerber and Djokovic. I think they're, they're quite similar in that way. And her anticipation was Djokovic-esque because the way, the ball was coming back at Serena so quickly because what Djokovic does so well is he gets into position, he anticipates. And Kerber, her serves weren't great often. 
But she just seemed to be able to know exactly where Serena was going to put her return so that she was then in a position to hit the next shot anyway. It was amazing to see it. And, and she does that thing where she gets so low. She's kind of down on her haunches, which is almost like a trademark Kerber shot. She did that a few times really effectively today. Yeah, she has kind of trademarked that. I know Agnieszka Radvanska does it and mm. has done it for a long time, but it's so different. I mean, you couldn't imagine two players of more different stature physically than Radvanska and Kerber like the way Kerber does it is it's purely due to I mean it's her quad strength isn't Mm. it I mean Angelique Kerber's quads are a sight to behold (laughs) they are I mean let's you know preserve them in some kind of uh, preserving fluid uh, once she's gone (laughs) the greatest Uh, quads of all time yeah (laughs) frankly yeah because I mean getting low on the grass it's a thing Mm. isn't it Mm. I mean it's amazing makes me wonder how many I mean I know the counterbalances that's big serving serves you well at Wimbledon but it's this kind of weird dichotomy of the the big serve which generally comes to tends to come with height versus the fact that a low center of gravity actually is an incredible weapon on the grass yeah she does she does use that most better than anyone I've ever seen and I guess that's that is how she's able to compensate for as you say grass you'd think that lack of speed on the serve would be exposed you know more than any other surface but she uh she is able to to almost get away with it it is it is hiding the weakness it's a really good way of looking at it we will talk about serena of course because her losing is let's be honest as big a story as kerber winning today but what's your take on the again one of the themes of our tennis podcast throughout the the fortnight of personality types um and you know it's sort of she wants to win. winning suits her but the things that come with winning mm. don't suit her and it, and yes she's a two-time champion already now a three-time grand slam champion but winning wimbledon comes with something extra on top of mm. what she's already experienced and so it's kind of all going to come back at her again you referenced at the start there this really fascinating trajectory she's been on that awful 2017 she happened Courtney Nguyen from the the WTA recounts this incredible story of the end of 2017 I think when she played in Zuhai and she she just walked off the court in this completely unceremonious way and that was sort of the most awful and fitting end to her 2017 Mm. that it just fizzled away and she couldn't wait to see the back of it and yeah, what what now? What's going to happen now for Angelique Kerber? I think for these players, it's about managing, making the best of that bad situation. Now, Kerber is not going to be someone who wants to be doing tons of photo shoots and all that sort of thing. I think she has to make peace with the fact that that does come with the territory. You know, I was thinking this about someone like Sasha Zverev, who, you know, often in his pre- press conferences, he's quite snarky about questions that kind of betray the fact that not every journalist here is going to be going following him around the ATP Tour for. 52 weeks a year you know and you just have to kind of accept that yeah if he gets asked a question he's been asked a week before he's like well why don't you look at my transcript from last week it's like well (laughs) exactly you kind of just need to to make peace with those things I think you know Kerber as well she she became more guarded after those Grand Slam wins you know certainly in the press room she became less interesting less sort of sparky than she'd been you Mm. talked about it as well with Muguruza uh, you know that she's sort of got this guard up a bit now and it's just whether that's helpful, whether that's the best way of dealing with that or whether that actually takes up more energy. I think, you know, Kerber just has to find a way of 
of being able to do these things without it draining her, you know, and taking away... She, she has to look at it, look, that this is part and parcel of being a Wimbledon champion, but don't let that affect what I love doing, and that's playing tennis. Billie Jean King uh, on the BBC this week talked about she's being drawn into a, a similar debate about personality types and whether it just doesn't suit some people to be number one. Now, I don't know quite what Kerber will rise to as a result of that. I mean, it's yeah. not, she's not going back to number one, but she's back to having the, the target on her back, yeah. crucially. Um, and Billie Jean King talked about number one. She never saw number one as a defensive position, as a position to defend. She saw it as... As, and it sounds so trite, doesn't it? But that is what separates the, the champions from the, mm. the mere mortals. Um, she talked about it as, as soon as she got there, she was like, well, how can I improve? How can I make myself better? How can I make myself a better number one? Rather than thinking, oh my God, how can I just stay here? It's not, you have to not see it as treading water. Um, and maybe the experience of having been there before, being in this situation, but I don't know, maybe it's about experience or maybe it's just about... It not suit. I'm fast as, yeah, as an introvert. No. I am fascinated <laughs> by what is to come for Angelique Kerber. I think as well, it's a kind of and again, it's sort of hackney phrase, but that winning mentality. And I remember Roy Keane, who obviously is on the extreme end of a winning mentality, and him talking about how when United won the Champions League in '99, him basically berating players for saying things like, "I don't care what happens for the rest of my career," you know, "I've won the Champions League." He could not understand. He could not fathom that mindset. He was like. How, how can you not see this as a springboard? You know, and, and that is the difference between guys who will get to number one and then that's fine, and those who get to number one like, yeah, okay, well, when am I, when's my next slam coming from? You know, Which probably brings us nicely on to Serena Williams. <laughs> yeah, in doesn't that it? Now, the question I asked you before we started recording, which we decided to curtail the discussion <laughs> for, for on air, was what will get more space in The Telegraph tomorrow? Kerber winning... Or Serena losing? Yeah, it's it, it's a difficult one. I mean, Serena is, for most of our readers, obviously the more recognisable personality. It's a story as well that's probably for someone who maybe doesn't follow the tennis calendar all year round, a story that anyone can identify with. It's amazing, you know, someone has a baby, comes back, what an inspiration that is. So I think inevitably a lot of the attention will and has to focus on Serena because she's the greatest tennis player of all time you know so that will have to be a big factor but then you know of course then the Kerber element comes into it as well and I think you know the fact that they seem to get on and you know there's those lovely images of them embracing so you know I I think hopefully it will mesh together quite nicely. It's a funny one for Serena isn't it because we all remember the Australian Open 2016 and that was of course Kerber's first Grand Slam it was an absolute shock at the Mm. time that Kerber beat Serena in that final and there was this almost we all doubted well some of us doubted (laughs) the sincerity at the time of Serena's intense happiness for Kerber Mm. she seemed like crazily happy (laughs) for her opponent for this die-hard competitor to be so genuinely happy in the in the moment of defeat on the on the biggest stage was was bizarre um and I I I I think she felt that today I do I think she felt those same feelings but there was also the moment that her voice broke when Mm. she was talking to Sue Barker wasn't there there was just that flicker I think because she genuinely felt that she... It, you, you often hear it, don't you, with sports with it's when they feel they've let people down. That's when they're most upset. And I think she so wanted to be this inspiration to mums everywhere that you could 
do that. You could take time out and then come back and be the Wimbledon champion. Do you, you know? think she, Serena Williams today had a feeling of having let people down? I, well, I, I, as crazy as that sounds, you know, I think she she just so wanted to have achieved this incredibly inspirational thing, which she has done anyway. You know, she knows she's given absolutely everything, but I think that's when her voice wavered when she says, you know, I so wanted to, to do this for mums everywhere, and which I thought was just an amazing thing for her to say. Um, but, you know, she, she, will, she knows that she has not let anyone down, and reaching the final is an unbelievable achievement. What does David Law make of that unbelievable achievement? We're talking about whether it, Kerber winning or Serena losing is is the bigger story, David. And, and, yeah, I mean, Serena obviously hasn't let anybody down. I th- for me, the, the, story, the Serena story works whether she won today or not. Yeah, they're, they're equally big um, for different reasons, really. I, I, I also equate a little bit. Serena Williams has come back to Novak Djokovic's. Different reasons, but you could see what it means to them to be back after a period away. And I, I do feel that Angelique Kerr, what an admirable performance and tournament she's had. I mean, she was just not having it. And we always felt, I thought, Serena is going to have to play her absolute best tennis to beat this one because she's not going to let the ball pass. She just doesn't let you have it. And and Serena was short today I just would love to have seen a third set I would love to have seen more because I think that that is one of those classic examples where Serena might have been able to just play her way in to that final and she didn't get the chance but well that's because Angelique Kerb was so damn good Is this the match then we often hear about how oh it's a shame that you know let's cut five setters to three setters is this a match where actually it would have been really interesting for it to be a best of five set match Absolutely, absolutely. And, and there are other examples of it, of it in the women's game from this fortnight. I think the one that stood out for us was was Kerber uh, and Ostapenko, mm. where Ostapenko just about managed her uh, challenge at, at the end, but it just came a mm. little too late. And had there been a bit more time, that could have been so, so interesting. Um, I think absolutely. It was interesting yesterday after the Anderson Isner, I don't know, what are we calling it? Ordeal? (laughs) (laughs) Epic? Ordeal? Thriller? Struggle? Classic? (laughs) Struggle? All those things. It was amazing how quickly everyone was pretty unanimous about the fact that something has to change here. I kind of feel the same today. I mean, I can't be unanimous on my own. (laughs) But I've. It seems clear to me. It just seems so clear to me in the way that it suddenly seemed clear to everyone yesterday that something needs to change there. It seems equally clear to me today that something needs to change. It just, yeah, it just felt weird that after, what was it, 63, 64 minutes, it was over. It felt it felt like it was it just gone by in the blink of an eye. And I think especially when you've just watched, come off two five-set marathons, it it just jarred a little bit and and the annoying thing is that then gets used as a stick to beat women's tennis with and I hate that Mm. um, because you could use all sorts of other examples the other way but you never dig them out until you're under attack in a way from a women's tennis perspective nobody ever sees a great three set match in a women's Mm. tournament and goes oh you know see all this rubbish about equal prize money that's why we have it it doesn't happen but it does happen the other way around and it would just be nice to remove that mm. as an element of the conversation completely because it shouldn't be there and therefore you could get around it. Plus you would you would remove this problem of somebody being out of form in a final and losing it quickly or 
worse still, suffer from nerves. Obviously, that's not going to be the situation as much for someone like Serena Williams, but she couldn't deal with Angelique Kerr because Kerber was so good, but she might have been hard to over time. Maybe she wouldn't, but at least give it a chance. And at the same time, if you could, if you could shorten matches on the men's side in the first week, you, you save them a bit more and you, and you add extra emphasis and importance on those last few rounds. Mm. Okay, then, seeing as you sort of vaguely brought us onto this topic, David, how about the fact that what time did the women's final start today? Uh, I think it was about 3.45 or something like around there, maybe 4 o'clock. It was meant to start at 2 o'clock, wasn't it? And no, actually, no, it was 4.15 because they had a half an hour break between the, the two matches, which was a decision I thought was sensible regardless of how long the men's match went, and it went long. So they needed to be able to let people out and come back in again so that it wasn't a half full. Yeah, under the circumstances, that was the right decision, I think, but they created the circumstances for that decision to be made and what do we think about the fact that the women's final ended up being a not before time when uh, under repeated questioning fire about the men's final and the world cup final the the clubs um fell back on this uh, trope of but the the tradition of the final starting at 2 p.m being this um Rubicon that mm. cannot be crossed. I, I guess, in in their defence, they would we would we would then be saying it would be incredibly. It's one thing to not move it for tradition's sake due to our external forces like the World Cup, but when you're talking about actually the well-being of the players, they've made an exception. And I think we'd be saying it was an, it would be an incredibly pig-headed decision them not to have done it for that reason. If, as apparently was the case, the players said the men's players said they wanted to go first so as to be. Have a, have a longer gap before the final. Could they not have started at midday? Possibly, but then you've got the issue where they finished at 11pm last night. So then it, it, it was a, I think it was a difficult balancing act for them because they wanted to give them enough rest, having finished so late last night, but also then have enough rest for tomorrow's final. It ju- I, I think those are what, what, the what, very what? valid points. I just think that it's, from what I've gathered from, from various briefings that people have had with the referee's office is that the men's players in this situation have been asked their opinions, their their preferences about all the decisions at every turn. Would you like the mm. roof to remain closed, Rafa Novik? Would you, no, Novak? Would you like to play before the women's final or after women's final? Were Serena and Angelique consulted about their feelings on any of this at any stage? I don't know. They might have been, but the sense I guess is 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 that they weren't. Well, I, the answer is I don't know yet, and, and they haven't been into their press conference as we talk to you right now. One person I did speak to briefly was Kim Clijsters, who wasn't happy that the women's final had been had been moved and there wasn't a, a set time, felt that the ladies' singles final should have its place and its slot, and that should be that. I would ultimately, I think, go along with that. I, I do understand the reason, and the, the, it's a problem. It was a problem that if you have the men finishing their semi-final at 7 p.m. tonight, and then trying to come out and play again at two o'clock tomorrow, that is a big ask, and physically, that's a problem. I'd probably still have done it. Would one option to be why, why not say 
if you're going to remove the sanctity of that 2pm start time, which they effectively did today anyway, give a start time that's more realistic, like 4 o'clock. Because, because that way, that, that's a, that seems like a far more likely start time. Like, 2pm today was never going to happen. You know, that- I, I, I agree. The sanctity of there being a start time is more important than yeah, the sanctity of exactly. what that start time is. Yeah, exactly. At least then the players have a... Because it should be about the players, and at least then Kerber and Williams can know, OK... 99% chance we're going to start at 4 or we're going to start at 5. Four, yeah. Whereas today, what chance was there? 20? Why not have it at 12.30 and a 4 o'clock? I mean, yeah, yeah, I completely exactly. agree. I completely agree. Um, yeah, but the fact is, we had... We should the be res- in <laughs> we should, We've been saying this for two weeks, Charlie. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. The fact is, we had the resumption of Nadal and Djokovic and, look, nobody is resenting... That, that tennis that we have seen today and nobody on centre court was resenting it nobody in the media resenting it nowhere, anywhere it was sensational it was absolutely sensational it was won by Novak Djokovic and very deservedly so but that's not the whole story I mean there, there's so much to that story yeah I mean I, Briggsy touched on it last night it was the, the absence of a big four Grand Slam match then when you started watching it you're like yeah this is amazing. The just what they bring, and I think especially and no disrespect at all to Isner and Anderson, which was a really exciting match in its own right. But certainly the last set of that, just because of the nature of it, had become quite one-dimensional. To then see the the layers and the the thought processes and what they're doing and the variety was just so heartwarming and mm. invigorating. Well, I think. 
I, I, think, I thought it was one of the best matches I've ever seen. And uh, I'm always a bit wary of judging a match so soon afterwards because you can get uplifted by the moment and, and overdo it, and I've done that before. But watching it last night and then watching it again today, the resumption, the type of points they were having the lumps they were knocking out of each other and as you say not just hitting the strategy the 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 knowing each of these patterns and trying to do something about it to knock the other one out of their stride and the improvisation based on what somebody else had just done to you to try to turn the tables and it was just repeated it was swings that set that fourth set that i commentated on there's a 15 minute first game Mm. And, and it was eventually a hold of serve by Nadal with Djokovic just piling on the pressure. And then Nadal streaks out to a three-love advantage. And you're thinking, he's got him, he's got him, he's going to race through this set and we're into a fifth. And Djokovic is like, no, no, I'm not yeah. done yet. And he reels him back in for three-all. And then they, they're going hammer and tong. Nadal wins that set. And then the, the, one of my favourite moments in the whole match was um, uh, a, an exchange in the fifth set towards the end when... First of all, Djokovic just won this crazy point when I when I think he was I think he was break point down and and Nadal just attacked him just through the whole kitchen sink he was the he was the Rottweiler just just jumping on him and Djokovic still found a forehand cross court passing shot to save break point and then whipped his arms up and got the crowd up and I loved that I loved that and then a few points later you've got. It was, a, it was in, actually in the final game of the match, ultimately. I think Nadal is under massive pressure. He's, I think he's 15-30 down. And he, he won a point that was so uplifting that he just put his arms in the air like he just scored the goal in the World Cup mm, final. Mm. And he didn't, didn't fist pump. He just put his arms and celebrated it yeah. by putting his arms up. And the crowd just stood up. And I just laughed. I just the, the, the rally was so absurd. <laughs> the, the the corners they'd sent each other into, and it wasn't just hitting. It was short slices, and then set up your opportunity down the line. You've made that, and then digs it out with a little forehand chip, and and then you're back into the rally, and then the other one turns the tables. I mean, it was just I, I felt delirious watching it. Is, is there an argument, say, and apologies if this is a really old thought, but that in pure tennis terms, that's the greatest rivalry than Nadal Djokovic, even more so than Nadal Federer? I mean, just what they've produced and, and how they bring out the best out of one another? I think there's a strong argument for that. The, the, the argument in favour of... The, the reason that we think Nadal Federer is so memorable is because they hold the record for Grand Slam meetings. Mm. It just so happens that so many of their meetings have come at slams, but... Djokovic and, and, and the casual tennis observer mostly watches the slams, so you'd think Nadal Federer. I think for the nerdier tennis mm. fan, Nadal Djokovic is the one. Especially, And I just think, like, take away all... I mean, Nadal Federer is rivalry perfection in the, their personalities and everything like that, but, yeah, just, just the way those two... I just love what they bring from one another. And, and it does make me... And I felt this when Djokovic came back during the clay court season, and again, made me realise how much I'd missed him. Just the thought that's going on, and it does make me worry. Just, and hopefully they'll develop it over time. But just whether the younger players, maybe it is just a learning curve, but they, they don't play with that same texture and that same variety. It's just so much about power. or appetite. Yeah, that's well, the other yeah. thing. You know, look at these guys. Every look point. what they've already done. Look what they've put on the line. Where does it come from? Where does this desire to win? to compete to know you're not having the bone I'm having the bone a few people uh, tweeted out that during last night and today uh, about 
as talented as some of this next gen are and there's plenty that we're beating the drum about and are excited about but it made me realize how blooming far there is for them to go and how small a piece of the pie talent actually Mm. is Mm. And actually, if you th- if you look at their rivalry overall, which is now 27, Djokovic, 25, Nadal, the, the, the sort of rally that I've described about how they sort of wrestle control of a rally and then put the other one on the back foot and then the other one finds a solution and it just carries on. And they've, they've rewritten my job as a ball-by-ball commentator because I think rallies are over and mm. I've built to my crescendo. And then, oh, my God, they're back into another baseline rally because the other one's defense is so good. But look at their... find another octave. Yeah, another octave, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the... If you look at the actual swings and roundabouts of their whole careers and the streaks they've mm. each had, 11 out of 12 matches won by Djokovic in a three-year period between 2013 and 2016. And before that, there were swings when Nadal had the upper hand. And then there was that one in 2011 when Djokovic won about the first 40 matches of the year and N- Nadal couldn't deal with him. I, I think it's the be- N- Djok- Nadal is the best thing that can happen to Djokovic because I think sometimes Djokovic's matches can feel a bit attritional and quite grindy, but Nadal forces Djokovic to do so much more and he, he brings out the aggressive side that is there in Djokovic. And I think what you've just said applies in a micro and a macro sense because I think winning that match over Nadal yesterday and today could be the, the best thing to happen to Djokovic in terms of his comeback in general I think he's the heavy favourite to win the final tomorrow and I, I feel sad for Kevin Anderson saying it could that. be a good final don't forget could be. Anderson had him at two sets to love don't forget three years ago on court one I hope I'm wrong and if we were going into it you know slates completely clean you know two week holiday <laughs> prior for both <laughs> of them two weeks. <laughs> yeah um, then I'd be saying Djokovic is my favourite but Anderson has a really good chance but um, I, look, I know Djokovic has played a lot of tennis. I know he's not had a rest day in the way that Anderson has, but I interviewed Anderson earlier and he didn't seem to be having a rest day. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed to be having a, a slightly painful day. Um, yeah, I, I, I desperately hope he can mount a challenge, but all, all logic is telling me he probably can't. Look, the fact that it went long today helps him a bit. It does. It I, helps I, him. I think it will be marginally less close than what you've described in terms of what you would have hoped it might have been had everything else been equal. I think it. I, I think Anderson's got a chance. I really do. I, I don't think he'll win, but I think he can. I don't think it will be a walk in the park. I hope so. I think the potentially. I mean, you're looking basically at the differentials, aren't you, of what they've been through? And one thing I would say is that not only does Djokovic have doesn't have the rest day his match was a lot more intense I, I do think that last set for Anderson he he obviously was giving absolutely everything into it but it didn't have quite the same intensity of of Djokovic's match I, I do kind of agree with Catherine I think if I were putting a bet on it I would say Djokovic in straight sets grumpy so-and-so honestly <laughs> glass is half empty what I'll say about the interview I did with him earlier and he was delightful he was absolutely delightful he's a lovely man he really is and he gave us time he, he was an hour and 20 minutes late because he was watching the end of the Nadal Djokovic match but I will forgive him that um, he wasn't relaxed he wasn't relaxed, and uh, I would have thought the only benefit to having gone through what he went through yesterday would be for him to say to himself, 
well everyone's not giving me any chance I've you know I've been through that that's the battle everything from now on is a bonus I've just got to go out there and hit and see what happens he didn't seem to have that mm. relaxation in but he's him, not a relaxed he? character no he's not he, yeah he's not maybe yeah maybe there are no circumstances in which he would feel that before for a grandstand final you're, you're quite right I was saying in a piece this week he has that look of a man who's kind of constantly worried he might have left the iron on or something he's just kind of got that, that like preoccupied oh, vibe I, yeah. Yeah. I might have done that do you think he might be an introvert he could well be. I think he very much is. I mean, he was practicing his fist pumps and come on shouts in the mirror, wasn't he? With, uh... well, I, I spoke to his uh, his sort of life coach just now, leadership consultant uh, Alistair McCaw. Well, I think it was. We all have one of those. Yeah, uh, and he, he was a telling leadership me leadership consultant, something like that. Yeah, and, and Did he, he was... give you his business card. No, I just I'm, I feel like I'm well stocked in that <laughs> sort of way. You know, he, he, although you know I was quite uplifted by the end of it. But he, what he was saying is just how coachable Kevin Anderson is. Mm. That he is just quite happy to be told what to do and pull me up if I'm not doing it. It's funny you should say that because we had a slightly bizarre situation in this interview where we wanted him to do it down the barrel looking at the camera so I was interviewing him but he had to give all his answers not looking at me looking at the camera which is a really really bizarre Mm. dynamic for an interview and I sort of explained that plan to him really apologetically in advance like I know this I know this is a bit awkward (laughs) Kev uh, but you know and he he was like a schoolboy he was like oh, I'll, I'll, yeah no I can do this I'll, I'll do my <laughs> best I'll do my best question. and he did so well and you could see how hard he was trying with it and then about four answers in he he lost himself for a moment he, he looked over at me mid answering and went oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'll do it again and I was like it's fine this whole thing's going to be edited and painted and you know it, we're not going to run it as a 15 minute long you know stri- it's it's fine um but that was exactly the thing that struck me you know how willing he is as a learner and how much of a sponge he is um yeah it was it was sweet and endearing and um yeah it was lovely and given all that i mean we were talking before about kerber and how she dealt with being a grandstand champion i mean how would big serving Kevin Anderson deal with being a Grand Slam champion being a Wimbledon champion I think he'd I think he would love it in the short term I think the one thing thing is whether he would be prepared to change at all Mm. and I think the the key almost is for somebody to accept if you're not the type don't try to be the type. Yeah, that's what we were you know? saying earlier. Because that's Angelique. I remember seeing her at the age, the WTA finals uh, at the end of 2016 after that incredible run, and she was so charming. And she did all our interviews and so forth. And she was, but I got the sense that she was trying to play the part right. of the world number one. She was trying her best to do what what you do, you know. And it just wasn't her. Um, and yeah, she's. She, it seems like she's sort of figured it all out a bit now that she doesn't have to do that. Yeah, do a Sinatra, do it your way. Yeah, there you go. But that's what I think about Novak Djokovic. I think he has, for so long, he's had this difficult thing, not being Federer, not being Nadal, and, and almost tried to be them for a while. And I think he's so much better when he's just, he's being himself, he's being defiant, he's being a bit punkish. That's great. You know, it's a point of differentiation apart from anything else. But, you know, just that's what fans want, I think. They just want to see someone being genuine and being true to themselves. I completely agree. And he was today, wasn't he? I loved yeah. that sort of trying to fire the, the crowd up. Yeah, get behind me. I'm playing brilliant tennis right now. How about when he slammed the racket into the sole of his shoe? Oh, I mean, he repeatedly. very nearly caused himself yeah. 
an injury there because he, if he'd have missed, and he didn't miss much, but if he'd have missed his sole of his shoe, he'd have broken his ankle. The violence with which he was doing it. Gents, we need predictions. I, I'll, I'll go for Djokovic in four. Djokovic in three for me. Ooh, Djokovic in four. I think he's going to have a mental wobble. I convinced you. <laughs> I think he's going to have a mental wobble, and I think. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Djokovic in four. <laughs> Who's going to win? Is Jamie Murray and Victoria Azarenka going to win the the mixed doubles? And is Jack Draper going to win the the boys? Jack Draper plays the top seed, I think. Jason Seng of uh, Chinese Taipei. Um, so I think that's a that's a tough ask on any day. It's a particularly tough ask after a 90. He's effectively played his first ever five-set match and then some. And the fact that he's come through it at the age of 16 is extraordinary and there's so much to, to take from that. I think, on balance, this will probably be a bridge too far for Jack Draper. I think Mazarenka will do it, though. <laughs> Mazarenka, yeah. And I, I, no, I'd agree with both of those. I think Mazarenka will win. And, yeah, I think for Draper, it, it's one thing you look at these top guys um, you know we talk about Anderson Djokovic how can they recover but at least they've got some experience of doing that before Draper obviously doesn't I think it's it'll be too much for us for him I'm going Draper I don't care what you really? say yeah I, I mean I've got no grounds for that but I'm just you know be contrary it's coming home um, but the um, the, uh, the just, just a quick mention as well of, uh, of, of victory today in the wheelchair doubles for Gordon Reed and Alfie Hewitt third in a row third in a row they're so great aren't they are there two more endearing men in tennis I'm not so sure and you Andy just... Lapthorne today as well in the first ever quad wheelchair doubles yeah, yeah, first ever. That's a big deal for Wimbledon, actually, and it is shame on us that we haven't mentioned the fact that they've had quad wheelchair doubles we have now. for the first time. Yeah, but we're mentioning it now, uh, and uh, yeah, I know that's something that Andy Lapthorne and and uh, the rest of the the quad wheelchair players have been campaigning for for a long time. And for them, it's a it's a huge deal. It's an absolutely monumental thing to be playing here at Wimbledon. I'd love to see them get bigger courts I know that the argument uh, against that is the, the, the damage it does to the courts but particularly this year where the courts are so hard they're basically hard courts I mean you could steamroller over them and I'm not sure it'd do that much mm. damage they're Ooh. concrete basically oh look Wimfisets over there coach of Angelique Kerber holding court with uh, about seven of He's the Germans coached an awful lot of players yeah. to victories over Serena Williams that's one thing that Charlie and I didn't discuss but what is it? Azarenka Kleisters um, Lizicki yeah. here in 2013 I I'm loath to um attribute female achievements to men but it has to be said that the a doff of the cap is probably merited also just a, a penny for joe conta's thoughts on that i mean i know you know every every combination is different but was she a little hasty maybe in getting rid of him at the back end of last year absolutely maybe i could sign him up for me against you you know just just once like like almost charity Thing. You've got the leadership consultant. I don't oh, yeah. think he's a guy right now that's looking for work. There's certainly not pro bono work. All right, all that's right, not fine. the vibe I'm getting from him. Should we go home now? Yeah, we've been <laughs> the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph, with Charlie Eccleshare from The Telegraph. Thank you very much, Charlie. With Amazon Prime Video UK, the home of the US Open in the UK with our executive producers Triple S, Melanie Bowes and TennisBalls.com with La Manga Club uh, and with Charlie the Ferret as well and we will be back for one last daily Wimbledon tennis podcast tomorrow on Men's Finals Day we'll see you then
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.